Hey, we've been in this series called 276, and that was kind of intriguing for some people, but the reason that we call this 276 is because there have been 276 very unique times in Scripture that God is referred to as our Father, our Father. So we spent the last couple of weeks looking at what does that mean. In week one, we talked about God, is a, He's a good Father. Would you admit that He is a good Father? He's given us some things that we probably didn't deserve, like eternal life. We did not deserve, we did not deserve that. Um, and, and so we talked about just the goodness of God and even how Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, listen, when you pray, pray by saying, our Father. And it was a, a, a culture shock for those disciples because they had never referred to God as a Father. And then last week, Pastor Josh Gilmore was here. You guys enjoy Pastor Josh? I hope so. Um, he asked me, he said, do you, do you think your church was very receptive to what I had to say? I was like, probably not. They're used to like really high-level preaching, but it's okay. <laughs> it's going to be good. But he did a great job last week and just really challenged us that not only is God a good father, but because he's good, he's given us purpose, and there's a calling that we have on our lives. And, and we have been called to take some type of next step in our faith, no matter what that is, whether that is doing missions or whether that is uh, being in a small group, like there's always something that God is calling you to. And can I tell you, a lot of people say, do what God has called you to do. I will tell you not to do that. Do what God is calling you to because you can get stuck in what you were called to do and be disobedient in the things that he is calling you to do. You understand? Does that make sense? Now, today, our Father provides provision. And over the last couple of years, we've, we've really have asked that, Right? Where's God in this? God, if you don't show up, you ever had this prayer, God, if you don't show up, this is not going to be good, right? I remember when we were sitting with a couple of families in our living room, and, and this, this idea of together church was birthed, that we felt that this is what we're being called to do. We prayed through it. We talked through it. We tried to talk ourselves out of it. We went to Georgetown, South Carolina, hoping that that was the place that God would lead us to. But God would lead us back here. And we knew in that moment, to start the church was going to be throwing all the chips in the middle of the table and going, okay, if you don't come through, I'm going to be homeless, and all these people are going to have to find something else to do, and people don't hire people with Bible degrees. I just don't, I'm not qualified to do a whole lot of other things. And so it was just like, God, you have to move, and we're trusting that you're going to move. I think we were right, everybody. I think we were right. And... We know that because God is a God who provides. But here's the thing. When we always look at the provisions of God, we think about the material. And yes, he is a good God. Yes, he, we, we are born here in the United States where we have opportunities afforded to us and liberties that we have when other countries, they don't have the things that we have. And so we have been, we have been blessed. We have been blessed. But it's not about the material of the provision. It is about the presence of God that is the provision. The promise of God was his presence, his presence. Because if you have his presence, you don't need anything else. Because you have found satisfaction in the presence of who he is. And so today, we're going we're gonna to look at two different passages. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. And then we're going to jump a few hundred years later. And we're going to hit to John chapter 3. And we're going to tie these two together. We're going to talk about a guy named Abraham. Remember that guy? Sunday school father Abraham had 
Whew, many sons did Father Abraham have. Did not have cable, Father Abraham. And so, in Genesis chapter 22, it says this. After these things, I want to pause right there. What are these things? Well, there's a lot of these things with Father Abraham and his many sons who he does not have at this point. Let, let, me, let me brush you up on some, some history. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, and we have Abraham. We don't know why. We, don't, we didn't see that he did anything that was special. But God called him and said, hey, guy, um, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you this, this promise. I'm going to make this covenant with you. And Abraham's going, what, me? Yeah, you. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to move from where you're at. All right, where are we going? Well, you'll know when you get there. Okay, now, Abraham gets this message directly from God. But Abraham's married to a woman named, anybody? He's married to Sarah. She's going to get this information secondhand. So Abraham's going to come home. He's going to look at Sarah. He's like, hey, honey, um, my day was great. I had a great day. How was yours? Good. Okay. Um, listen, um, we're going to move. Well, where are we going? I don't know. God told us just to go, and he would tell us when we get there. Y'all have a hard enough time getting people to get in your car like, hey, y'all want to go somewhere? Where are we going? I don't know. We'll, we'll know when we get there. Y'all have that problem? People with lack of trust? We, we always talk about Abraham's faith. That, Look, Abraham picked up everything he had, and he moved. What about Sarah? She was having to buy into the fact that her husband had this, this dream. They had heard from God. And so they, she, she's faithful, and she gets up, and she says, okay, let's pack the stuff, and let's just go. And so they go. And on two different occasions, they enter into these cities, and the kings, and remember, Sarah's like 75 at this point, and they're like, man, she is a good-looking woman. And they ask Abraham, who is she? And Abraham's like, oh, that's my sister. To save himself so he wouldn't be killed. And he throws his wife two times. How many times? Oh, here's my sister. And gives her away. Right? Um, ladies uh, that are married, what would that relationship with your husband look like after the fact? There wouldn't be one. The Ten Commandments haven't happened yet, so murder probably wasn't completely off the table. <laughs> that is not theologically correct, so just hear me on that one. You told me to move, I move. And then you deny me as your wife? Twice. Then they move on, and there's promise that God had given them. Now, they're in their old age. God has told them that he's going to be a father of many nations, but he's not a father to his own son because he doesn't have one. And God said the promise is going to happen. You need to be patient. But instead of being patient, Sarah and Abraham get in this conversation and go, hey, I'm getting old. This ain't going to work. So Hagar is our Egyptian slave girl. Sleep with her. She'll give a child. And then boom, we'll rush the process. Again, Horrible marriage advice. Do not do that. And she says, okay. And so Hagar will birth a son named Ishmael. Now, I want you to, to pick up on something here in the scriptures when we start to read into this text. It says this, is that when it refers to Isaac, it refers to, his, to Abraham's only son. Only son. But 
Abraham has Isaac, but he also had Ishmael. And what I want you to understand is this is a clear picture of Romans chapter 9 where it says that this is a work-based righteousness, that Ishmael was not part of God's plan. This was, this was Abraham rushing the promise because God doesn't operate on our time, right? Anybody agree with me there? Like, there's been times that I've told God, I don't know if you know, but you're going to need to speed this up because this ain't going to work out if you don't, if you don't do something. And so God never really operates on our time. He doesn't see time the way that we do. And so Abraham's thinking that, well, let me rush this process just a little bit. And see, so the problem is that if we, if we rush processes and we go with our flesh and we try to do work-based righteousness, our flesh will always produce an Ishmael. Our waiting will always produce an Isaac. And we just don't want you to understand about this. Ishmael will go off. And from his lineage, we will get Islam. We will get Islam. He rushed the promise. So after a while, after leaving a place that he's comfortable with, after lying about his wife and telling it's his sister and throwing her to the... And I, and I still haven't figured out how that worked because they eventually leave and they go to their new home. There's no way Abraham was able to ever ask his wife of anything. Hey, could you get me a glass of... Um, excuse you? Do you remember what you did to me? Get your own tea, right? Because they drink tea back in that day. Because they were Hebrews. Um, it was the worst joke ever. We'll cut that from the podcast. If we rush things and not wait on the, the timing of God, we'll throw everything out of whack. But if we'll wait for that moment, we'll get Isaac. We get the promises that he's, he's delivered. God's promises never come with an expiration date. If he says it, it happens. And so here we are. You got this guy who God said, you are going to be the father of many nations. His track record after that has not looked so good, has it? This is not the guy that you would pick to be the father of, of many nations. He's, matter of fact, if he was on the church staff, we would get rid of this guy. Right? I mean, you, you had an affair with your wife and had another child. You lied about her twice. I mean, this is not looking good for him. But can I just tell you that God never holds our past against us? Isn't that good? Like, the things that we have done, his mercy and his grace cover the multitude of sin that we have in our lives and the things that we have done and the things that we're going to do. And when you look at Abraham, you go, this is not a very good start for you, for the God that's going to have the everlasting promise and be the father of many nations. But I want to remind you of a couple of things this morning. How many of you know that your past doesn't define you? It doesn't. Listen to this. So, so Moses was a murderer, Noah was a drunk, Jacob was a thief, Joseph was a convict, Samson was a bully, Gideon was a coward, David was an adulterer, Solomon was a womanizer, Elisha had anger issues, Jonah was a racist, Jeremiah was depressed, Mary was a pregnant teen, Peter was a hypocrite, James and John were both power hungry, Matthew had problems with money, Thomas was a doubter, Paul was a terrorist, and your pastor was kicked out of Bible college. God can use anybody. Anybody. Okay? He can use anybody. We have to be obedient 
to the promises that he has made for us and stop disqualifying ourselves on the basis of what we've done and start looking at the cross as our ultimate qualifier. Because he has called you and he loves you. And if we understand that he is a good father and he has called us, we will be able to accept the provisions that God gives for us. And we will not put stones in front of our lives anymore to block out what God's trying to do. So in Genesis 22, he says, and these things, these things. Now you know what these things are. And he says, after these things, after all of that, God said, Abraham, I got a test for you. What do you mean a test, man? What was all that? What was all, like, we've been waiting forever. We've rushed the process. Not, don't skip the fact that Abraham and Sarah thought, hey, this Ishmael kid thing's not really working out, so they sent him on his way. Okay? And so it's not really, it's not really working out, and now God goes, okay, now time for the test. Well, what was that? <laughs> what was all that stuff? Like, I, I literally got up and I moved to a place that I didn't even know where I was going. So what was the point? And he says, well, now, now is the test. Because he had waited 25 years before God would give them a child. Matter of fact, when Sarah heard the news that she was going to have a baby in her late ages, she said, huh. So God said, cool, name him Isaac, which means laughter. It's going to be a reminder that you laughed at the promise every time you call his name. And so she, she would name him, name him Isaac. So after these things, God tested Abraham. And, and here's the next part of that. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham says this, because here's the first thing with obedience and following the things that God says is being available. Because the next words out of Abraham's mouth are, here I am. Here I am. And he said, I want you to take your son, listen to this, your only, so if you are, are taking notes or you are writing in your Bible, I would circle that, your only son, Isaac. Remember, he's got Ishmael, but Ishmael is, is outside of the promise. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Circle that one. He says, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering. Time out. How many of you are doing this? Because I'm thinking, can we go back to the Sarah thing again? Because I would rather do that again than give up my son. And he says, I want you to take him to Moriah and on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Come on, God. Can you give me specific GPS coordinates? Just go, and I'll tell you when you get there. You notice the story is all faith. It's all about walking and trusting that God's going to be in the next place that he's leading us to. So Abraham, and this is obedience like I've never seen, the next morning, he rose early in the morning. There, see, a lot of times we'll pray to mess out of stuff as an excuse not to do the thing that we, we know God told us to. So can we just keep praying about it? But the obedience of Abraham was, I heard God, and this is not an easy task. Take your son. You're going to make him a burnt offering. So Abraham rose early the next morning. He saddled up his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and he said to his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. Can you imagine with every chop that he's making on this wood? He knows what's about to happen. And so the burnt offering, he's chopping the wood for, and he arose, and he went to the place 
of which God had told him. And on the third day, circle that, that's important. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. And over there was like up there. And we will worship and come to you again. Now, something I want you to pick up on in, in the language. Number one, it took three-day journey. I'm thinking, if I'm Abraham, this thought is in my brain for three days of the task that I've been assigned. He had enough time to bail out on this. He had enough time to run. It was in, it was in his genetics to just kind of not do the right thing. He had three days, but he didn't. He stayed true. And I want you to hear this faith because the, the English language doesn't do this very good justice. But in the Hebrew, he looks at his servants. He says, hey, we, us, me and Isaac, we'll be right back. Because he knew that God had called him to do something, but the provider would provide on the mountaintop. And he was so confident to say, hey, Isaac and I, we'll be back. You just hang here with the donkey for a few minutes. We got some business to take care of because we are going to worship. You, you can't, and, 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 and get this, this the scriptures call us, because I want you to think about the sacrifice that he's making here. He's traveling this journey. He's traveling this journey. He, he's doing everything that, that would be against what we should do, and, and God's calling, calling him to, to lay his, his son's life down and sacrifice him. It's the same thing that Jesus would call us to later on in the Gospels when he says to take up your cross daily. There's a sacrifice. There are things that we have to we have to take. And let me tell you that you cannot take up your cross if you do not lay down your Isaac. You cannot take up your cross if you do not lay down your Isaac. The Lord is testing him here. How far will you go for my name's sake? And the Bible says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son, puts it on his back, carry this. And Isaac said to his father, it's the first time Isaac's talked, by the way. And Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham would say, here I am, my son. You notice that every time that Abraham's name is called, immediately he answers, here I am. Availability. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. I, I'm Like, he's being a teenager. He's, seeing, he's noticing things. We got the fire, we got the wood, but hey, where's the lamb for this offering? And that's the point where you go, listen, you're a teenager, you ask too many questions, just go, just carry it. And so they went, both of them, together. Now, Isaac has this weight of the wood on his back, carrying it up Mount Moriah, and he's trying to figure out Where's the lamb? Because you don't have sacrifice without the lamb. And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. He's going to provide. And that's got to be hard on Abraham. That's got to be really mind-boggling for Isaac. Like what, you think we're just going to randomly catch a lamb out here? I mean, there's standards of what kind of lamb we can use. I mean, it would be like being a deer hunter and going out to deer hunt, and there's a 20-point buck stuck in the, the briars and be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, it wasn't that way. 
But they go together, both of them. They go up on this mountaintop and listen to this. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. He's building the very thing that he's going to lay his son on. And in order, and he bounds Isaac, his son, and he lays him on the altar on the top of the wood. I want you to catch something here. Abraham will have Isaac at the age of 100. If you study the Hebrew language here, it refers to him as a lad. So, so what we're going to say in, in the context of the original language is that he's a teenager. And I don't see 116-year-old dad holding down in his prime 16-year-old son and binding him to this altar. Here's what this means. Isaac willingly laid down his life because he trusted his father. You getting some similarities here? Just sound like another story you read? And he says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. These are images that we don't paint on the nursery walls of the church. But the angel of the Lord called to him. He called to him from heaven and he said these words Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham once again says, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. You hear that language being repetitive too. Here I am, my only son. And he says in verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. The sheep got its wool all stuck up in the briars, and he couldn't move. And Abraham went and took the ram. Yes, he did. I believe that the, probably the actual translation was Abraham immediately ran to the ram to make sure he didn't go anywhere. And he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. That's a powerful story. That's a faith. That is obedience. A matter of fact, that he's going to say, he's going to say these words is that the Lord has provided, we're going to call this place Mount Moriah. In the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. So at some point, somebody, GPS, pointed this location of Mount Moriah, and years later, they will build a temple on Mount Moriah. And on this temple every year, the Jewish people would come into Jerusalem, and they would come to the temple and an atonement would be offered for their sins. And every year, the lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of the people to be forgiven. And then years after that, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to walk the same hill of Mount Moriah. And he's going to carry a piece of wood on his back. And he's going to have nails stuck through his hands and his feet, and he's going to climb that exact same hill. And he's going to have some of the exact same words. Father, not my will, but yours. And he's going to willingly lay down his life for us. We cannot fully understand Genesis 22 unless we fully grasp John 3.16. Because they're a direct tie. So I want to look for a moment in John chapter 3, in, in, in John chapter 3 in the New Testament, Jesus is having this conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus is in the, he's, he's in the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. He, he knows the scriptures. He's an expert in the scriptures. He has been witness to the things that Jesus has done. He has heard the stories. But out of fear for his life, he shows up at night to have this conversation with Jesus to kind of figure out what is it that is going on. So Jesus knows that he's an expert. I want to pull out some pieces from this passage to, to help you truly grasp what's going on here. So in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says... He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi. Now he's acknowledging he's a teacher. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God. For no one can do the, the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born again? Now, follow, follow along what is happening. Nicodemus is asking these questions, and Jesus is saying, well, you have to be born again. It goes right over Nicodemus' head, not understanding at all what he's talking about because he goes directly into literal of going, what does this mean that I've got to be born of my mom a second time? So he didn't, get the, he didn't get the translation that Jesus was trying to make. And so he, he, Jesus says in, in verse 5, and I think Jesus' probably answer was, oh gosh, here we go. But the Bible tells us that his answer was this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He knows the laws. He knows everything. He's done everything to code. He's followed the law religiously and Jesus is telling him that he's in danger of missing the kingdom of God he says that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again the wind blows now the wind in, in the Greek language is phenuma which can mean wind breath or spirit so the wind the breath the spirit blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says to him, well, how can these things be? Now, he is absolutely confused on this right now. Now, when you and I read this, we also get very confused on this, right? This has always been one of those verses that you have to, like, really stop and break it down piece by piece. And he says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him. And notice that every time that Jesus answers, it is with a question. So Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? A little bit of a stab. Are you who you say you are? Like you know all these things, but yet you don't know this thing? You don't understand these things? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, he's going to do something here. He's going to mess with him a little bit. He's going to do, uh, in the rabbi system, the, the rabbis would go through this whole school. We've talked about this before. And Nicodemus would have gone through a rabbinical school to become a rabbi, which meant 
that he could quote the entire Old Testament from memory, right? Now, I know we can quote Bible verses. We've all gotten our Bible awards from church trying to scroll through, and we remember some verses. Here's what I want you to understand the context of this. Nicodemus could quote the entire Old Testament from memory, and yet I can't remember my debit card number. (laughs) So Jesus is going to do a rabbi trick here. He's not getting what I'm teaching him, so I'm going to have to relate to him in a way that he understands. So Jesus is going to take him back to the Old Testament. And he's going to remind him of a story. And listen to what he says. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, he's talking about Numbers chapter 21, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There was a the situation Um, you probably won't believe this, but the Israelites were being disobedient and sinful. And um, God's like, okay, enough with you. So he sends snakes, right? Lots of them. And they're biting people, and people are dying. And Moses um, gets word from the people of, could you please just ask God to please stop with the snakes? Like, we've, we've been there. Our ancestors had the locusts and everything else. Can we not have the snakes? We repent. We're sorry. And so Moses puts his pole up with a snake that's wrapped around it, a gold snake. And when, they, when that pole was lifted up and they would lift their eyes to look to that, anybody that was bitten would be healed. And Jesus says, you know that, that thing that people would be healed when they looked at? I am that thing, Nicodemus. It wasn't about a bunch of people being struck by snakes and it wasn't about a pole with a snake wrapped around it. That thing that was lifted up that would bring healing to the people, that's me. And Nicodemus is like, okay, he's starting to get it. So then Jesus does another rabbi trick. He does another rabbi trick. And in this trick, what he's going to do is he's going to do what we call proto-logo. In the Greek, what it means is he's going to make a phrase, and he's going to use some words. And proto-logo means that you go back to the first place that you've ever seen that or heard that. And so Jesus gives this verse. Listen, most famous verse. Everybody can quote it but it's talking about Abraham. Listen to what he says. He says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his what son? Did you hear that language before? Genesis chapter 22. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting And Nicodemus hears that, and he goes, the father loved. That's the book of Genesis. That's the story of Abraham. And here's what's going to happen to old Nick. He's going to witness Jesus being lifted up on the mountain of Moriah. Many scholars believe that part of the burial of Jesus, Nicodemus played a piece in of helping Jesus find his to get to the tomb. Because it all it all made sense to him for the first time. He, he gets it. All of his all of his studies and the rabbinical studies and all these things and all this head knowledge that he had. Jesus has just made the connection. The story of Abraham and Isaac is pointing us to Jesus. Because the father willingly sacrifices his son. And years later, he's going to have that conversation with Nicodemus to paint this picture 
for him and, and for us to understand that this sacrifice that God has provided his presence and this atonement for our sins. Thank God we do not have to go and sacrifice lambs anymore for our sins. The lamb has been sacrificed once and for all. Jesus said, to Telestai, it is finished. Amen? You don't have to worry about getting a letter from your HOA from sacrificing a lamb in your backyard. Jesus has taken that for you. And I want, I want to dig a little deeper here because I, I, there's a, there can be a, a massive disconnect because we can hear things so many times that it can lose its, its meaning because we can quote this verse. We have seen it in sporting events. We have, you know, Tim Tebow had it on his eye black with John 3.16, but we can lose the power of what this verse is telling us when Jesus is making this connection back to Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham. Because he says that whoever believes. Now, there's a big difference in believing in and believing that. The Bible says that even the demons believe. They believe. But here Jesus says that whosoever believes. This is a funny Greek word there called pastuo. Pastuo. And here's what it means. It means to believe in, to trust in, to put your life in. Listen, it means all in, everything that you have for the cause of the gospel. He says, so whoever believes. Let me illustrate this for you. We didn't grow up a rich family. So we would oftentimes find gates that were unlocked at motels and hotels around Dillon, South Carolina, and we would jump the fences and we would go to those swimming pools. Anybody else? Okay, just one. All right, well, that's my people, my people. Um, but I remember I didn't know how to swim. My dad taught me how to swim, probably the same way that your parents taught you how to swim. They just kind of throw you in and yell, Swim! But I can remember going to the pool and standing on the diving board and my dad would get in the water with his arms open and would say, all right, let's go, jump. And I would stand on this diving board and I knew that this was my dad. It looks like him. Sounds like my dad. And he's calling me to jump in his arm. Now I acknowledge that this is my dad. But as long as I'm on this diving board, I am in control. I'm in control. You see, I think for a lot of people, you believe, but you're standing on a diving board. You've acknowledged him. You've acknowledged he's good. You've acknowledged that he's called you. You've acknowledged that he is there. You hear his voice, you see him but you are standing in complacency on this diving board, refusing to jump in. And see, that's not the belief that Jesus has called us to. This is why the church is in the shape that it is today, because there's a bunch of Christians standing on the diving board. Some of them haven't even made it to the diving board. And what Jesus is calling us to 
is not just to acknowledge that he is father. He is asking you to take your step off of that diving board and jump into his arms, pastuo, with everything that I have, and he's going to provide this moment that I do it. Does this make sense? We stand in a place of comfort because we're scared about what's going to happen in that leap. And what I can tell you is when you take that jump into the Father's arms, He's going to catch you. That's pastuo. That is not just acknowledging that God is real. That is acknowledging that I have put everything that I have into this. I will give my last breath to the gospel. will give my last breath to the gospel. So when Jesus says that whoever believes, whoever pastuos, will have eternal life, he's not asking us for this acknowledgement. What he's asking us is to put 100% trust into him that he will provide and, and my fear is I, I don't want us to be a church that just acknowledges that God is in the water with his arms open. I, I want us to full-fledged jump into the water, take the swimmies off, take the life jacket off, take all sense of security off, and jump into his arms. That's, that's what we've been called to do, not stand on the diving board where it's all up to us and we have full control. This is Abraham. Take your son, walk up that hill. Jump. That's what God was doing. Here I am, just jump right into my arms. And everything was provided. And of course, when we get to the end of Genesis 22, we see that God has provided and tells Abraham, you're going to have a son next year. And he will have Isaac. And there will be many more. And Jesus will come through that lineage. He'll come through that lineage. Because Abraham was willing to jump off the diving board. The invitation of the Father is that we jump into the arms of him, the pastuo, that we are taking the step off the board and jumping right into his arms and trusting us with his whole life. So I want, I want to take a moment because I don't want us to miss it. Are we just acknowledging God that he is there? Are we taking the step to completely jump into his arms? Because it's interesting that we'll trust him for the salvations of our lives, but we don't trust him with the day-to-day -day decisions of the things that we're supposed to be doing. If you would, every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to, one or two things here. If you've never accepted Christ and said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, you've never jumped off that diving board into his arms, today is the day the Holy Spirit is moving in you and you feel that there's, there's just something like God is speaking to you. Yes, he is speaking to you. He wants you to take the jump. If you'll pray this prayer, just say, God, I, I need you. I need you to do for me what I can't do. I need new life. Tell him that you believe that he died for you and that it counted. Confess Jesus as Lord. Tell him that he's Lord. Tell him that here you are. 
with every eye still closed and head bowed, if you've prayed that prayer, would you just slide your hand up for me? If you've never accepted Christ and today you've made that decision, I want you at the end of the service to go to our welcome desk. We want to get you connected and get your relationship with Jesus and show you what the next steps will. But maybe some of you are here and you, you've been a believer for a long time, but you're standing on the diving board. There has been no pastuo. It has just been, I've, I'm here in the safety and the comfort of what I do. I want you to ask Jesus what he, what he needs to do to heal for you to be able to take that step and jump off that board into his arms. What does he need to heal? There may be some fractured relationships that have caused you not to jump off that diving board. There, there may be um, issues that you've had with him. Maybe there's some trust issues with him. What does Jesus need to heal for that to happen? And for others, you, you know what it is. You just need to jump and say, God, I, it's all in. It's all in or nothing. God's provision is on the other side of the jump. Let me pray for you as we get ready to respond this morning. Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice and your son that we so often take it for granted but Lord, there was a price that was paid. You gave your only son to be the atonement for us forever. And the, the work was finished on the cross. So Father, in these next moments, I pray for those who have prayed and have said today they're starting fresh and following you. God, that you would give them the courage to speak and tell someone about that decision that they've made today so that we can wrap around them and help them to grow spiritually. They won't just walk out of here without talking to somebody. And Lord, for the others, I just pray in these next moments as we sing that we recognize how good you are. You're not an earthly father. You are a heavenly father. And may we take off all swimmies and life jackets and all things of comfort. And we'll lay down our Isaacs so that we can take up your cross this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing.